Throughout the summer months, the Shackle Island congregation runs a summer series. They've been doing this for years. And I was honored to be their speaker this past Wednesday night. Their theme this year were words to live by. And uh, the word that they gave me was the word joy. So I thought I'd bring that lesson over here tonight as well. Well, I'll tell you what I told them the other night. I come to you tonight with great joy. It's good to be here tonight. Enjoyable to be here. What exactly is joy, though? We look it up in the dictionary. simple definition about joy is this, that it's intense gladness. And if you look up the Greek word that's often translated joy in the Bible, it means the experience of gladness. So it's really a very simple word. It's an emotion that we have, a gladness, a good feeling that comes over us. We find that joy is listed as one of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. It's, it's just something that brightens up our day as we think about joy. The Apostle Paul used the word often as he wrote to various churches and individuals, especially when he was greeting them. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 4, he says, "...in every prayer of mine make a request for you all with joy." Again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, For you are our glory and joy. Then in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I might be filled with joy. In other words, when Paul wrote to the church at, uh, at Philippi, and when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, and when he wrote to Timothy as an individual, there was joy in his heart. When he thought about the church at Philippi, maybe somebody says, well, uh, what about that church over at Philippi? Joy filled his heart because he knew good things were going on over there. He thought about the love that was in that congregation. He thought about the good works that were taking place, and it made him glad. And he had joy when he thought about that. What about your friend Timothy? Oh, yes. (laughs) Put that smiley face on. There's sunshine in your soul when you think about Timothy. Just think about all the good works that this young man, Timothy, is doing. And that brought joy to the Apostle Paul. Who is that person? Or who are the people that put the smile on your face when you hear about them? You know, we, we are blessed up here in Sumner County. Uh, we have many sister congregations here in the Portland area and throughout the county and, and throughout the area here in the mid-state. And you know people uh, from these congregations. And you know you visited some of these congregations. And if I was to call out some of the names of these congregations, oh yes, the smile would come to your face because you have visited there. You know the good things that are going on. And it brings joy to your heart to think about those things also. Or we bring up individuals. Now, of course... Uh, when, when people mention Fountainhead to me, oh yes, joy comes into my heart also. And when they bring out the names of you, joy comes to my heart. And so joy comes to us when we think about each other and the good works that take place. John also talks about it in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. He wrote uh, his first epistles that the reader's joy may be full. And so he was saying that the message, the letter that he's writing to those that that would read his epistle, he wanted their joy to be full. He was giving them information about Christian living, Christian life, how to be pleasing to God 
realizing that when they did these things, this helps our joy to be full. And so he wrote for that purpose. Jesus said in Luke 15, verse 10, He says that there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. If there's someone here tonight that you've strayed away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, you haven't been doing the things that you ought to do, and you come forward tonight and you ask for our prayers, and and you repent for that, some public thing maybe you've done, this tells us that the angels will have joy over that. I'd like to submit to you that not only the angels will have joy, but we here will have joy with that too. If there's someone here tonight that hasn't obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, needs to be baptized into Christ, and you come forward tonight and you're baptized into Christ, you're going to bring joy to the angels in heaven. You're going to bring joy to the brethren here because there's people here I know that have encouraged you. And there's people here I know that have been praying for you. And so when you take the opportunity to be obedient to the gospel, you will certainly bring joy to yourself. You'll bring joy to the brethren here and all that hear about it. You'll bring joy to their hearts also. Now, as I was asked to bring a lesson on joy for the brethren over at Shackle Island, I thought, well, I'm going to do some research on this. And I got looking around, and there's a lot of ways that we can approach this. There's a lot of things that can be said about joy. But tonight I have picked three things I want us to think about concerning joy. And we're going to be looking at some scriptures as we think about these things. First thing I see about joy is there is an opposite of joy. And the opposite of joy is sorrow. If we don't have joy in our heart, then what is inside of us, oftentimes we might find that indeed it is sorrow. And let's see what the Scripture says about that. I'd like to read this passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, from, uh, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. The church at Thessalonica, even though they gave Paul joy, apparently there was some sorrow among them. He says so in in verse 13. He says that lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. There were people there that had sorrow. There were people there that that had no hope. And the reason for that was that they uh, they didn't really understand about the resurrection of the dead. They were concerned about loved ones who have died and, and have gone to be buried. What about them? What happens? And so Paul is just very forthright with them. He says... Church, this is it. This is how, this is what's going to take place one day. He says, one day Jesus is going to appear in the sky. 
When Jesus appears in the sky, all these people that are dead in Christ, they're going to come up out of these graves and they're going to meet the Lord in the air. And then if we happen to be alive when that happens, then we're going to go up and meet the Lord in the air and all of us will always be with the Lord. And that's how it's going to work. And then he says, comfort one another with these words. There was comfort now that comes along because they were sorrowing. There was no hope. But now we understand we, we will have that resurrection one day. If we've been faithful to God, we can meet the Lord in the air and we will be with Him forever and ever. And this brings us a comfort to know that not only we'll be there, but all those that have passed before us that were faithful will also be there. But this shows us that if we don't have that joy, we can have that sorrow also. Another scripture is James chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. And actually, it teaches us a couple of things. Besides telling us that the opposite of joy is sorrow, it also tells us that joy can come from evil sources. We want our joy to come from a heavenly source, from a spiritual source, and not from an evil source. James is writing to some people, particularly here in this fourth chapter, that was dealing with covetousness. And they, these were people that had become covetous and they had become uh, people that uh, were boastful and prideful. And no doubt they had arrogance in them as they had uh, gathered things in their life, worldly possessions. And they had taken these worldly possessions and credited their own abilities in gaining these possessions. We know who gives us our talents, don't we? God gives us our talents. God blesses us with our blessings. But they had forgotten that. And so they, they were taking a joy that they were self-sufficient, that they were taking care of themselves in such a manner. And so this is what James says to them, starting in verse 9. He says, Lament and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning, and let your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. He tells us in this scripture that if we got this joy from an evil source, we don't need to have it. We need to lament. We need to let our joy turn to gloom. We need to mourn. The way you and I would say it today, in the year 2012, is these people need to be knocked down a couple of notches. Have you ever heard that expression? They need to be brought down a couple of notches. They were getting too high-minded. And so with that, we find that, that James is letting them know that. He says you need to be brought down and then you need to humble yourself. When you humble yourself before God, then He will lift you up. And He will give you the kind of joy that is a, a true Christian joy that we need to have. We flip back in the Word of God to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And there the Apostle Paul talks about this a little bit. And before I read that, we need to think about what was going on at the church at Corinth in that day and time. You think back in, in the 1 Corinthian letter, and we find that the church at Corinth in that day and time was a dysfunctional church. They had some problems that was going on in that church. One of the first things that Paul addresses was the matter of them uh, having spiritual leaders or human spiritual leaders that they were following. Some were following Paul and some were following Cephas and some were following Apollos. 
And Paul said, no, 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 you don't do that. That's not what the Lord wants you to do. He wants you to follow Jesus Christ. You don't follow men. You follow Christ. Well, you've got to be of one accord. You've got to be of the same mind. You've got to be of the same spirit. You've got to work together and not be following after different preachers. Later on in the book, he, he talks about the, the spiritual gifts. They had problems with that. Here's some guy, he's standing over here and he goes, well, I've got the spiritual gift. I can heal people. So my spiritual gifts are better than your spiritual gifts. That makes me a better Christian. And, and you know, they were kind of getting all kind of puffed up like that. And Paul said, no, no, no. That's not right either. You've got to get that straightened out. And, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about the church as one body. Some of you are a hand, some are, somebody's a foot, somebody's an ear, somebody's an eye. We are all parts that work together. And as they have these spiritual gifts, these spiritual gifts work together for the edification of the church, the strengthening of the church. And he told them, you're going to have to get together with that. They couldn't even get together about when and who's going to be there for the Lord's Supper. <laughs> they had a problem with that. You go back to chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. They had a, a certain member of that congregation. He was having a relationship with his father's wife. And Paul said that's not the bad part. The bad part was they didn't even seem to mind. So they had some problems going on. And that's why Paul wrote that letter to the Corinthians, that first letter to them. And now he's writing a second letter to them. And we get to chapter 2, verse 1. He says, But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I, have, I ought to have joy. Having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. What I'm getting from these verses is when Paul thought about the church at Corinth, you know, again, he, he thought about the church at Philippi, he had joy. Church at Thessalonica, he had joy. Church at Corinth, oh, now he's got some sorrow. Not good over there at Corinth. Things are not the way they ought to be, and it brought sorrow in his heart. But after he wrote this letter, apparently there was some goodness in their heart that they thought about these things. That they changed and now he can come to them in joy. He can be filled with joy as he thinks about them and he might visit with them. And we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. We're going to revisit 2 Corinthians a little later in this lesson. Jesus also talks about the opposite of joy, being sorrow. Over in John, the 16th chapter, verses 20 through 24. This is, of course, the evening before Jesus was crucified on the cross of Calvary. And He's preparing His apostles for what is about to take place. And here's what He says to them. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I see you again, and your heart will rejoice. And your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. Until now... You have asked nothing in my name. Ask, 
and you will receive that your joy may be full. He says they're about to experience something that's akin to a woman giving birth to a child. She's in anguish. She's in great sorrow as the child is being born. But after the child is born, you see that little one, you can't help but smile again. You're happy. you got the little one in your arms. You're happy and glad, and brothers and sisters are happy and glad, and grandparents and aunts and uncles, all, all people are glad when that child is born. And then joy comes after that. And he said that the apostles were about to experience that kind of emotions coming up because the night was coming up that they were about to take him away. They were not going to be able to understand the things that they were about to see and witness and experience of how this angry mob takes Jesus away. And then the next day, they're going to see Him being nailed to the cross of Calvary. Yes, they're going to lament. They're going to mourn. They're going to be very sorrowful because they don't understand this. He's our leader. He's, He's supposed to be God's Son. Why are they doing this? And notice Jesus even told them, said, while you're doing this, the world is going to rejoice. And there's all these people out there, they're happy and they're cheering because He's being crucified. But yet, you're going to lament. But He says that that joy, that that, uh, lament, that mourning, that sorrow is going to quickly turn to joy. And sure enough, after Jesus was resurrected from the dead and He's back with them, they're feeling better about it now. And when we get to Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes into their heart, and they have now the understanding of all the things that's going on, now their joy has become full. And they're able and equipped to go and preach the gospel because their hearts indeed are full of joy. They're very happy about the work that they're doing. Well, let's look at something else. We'll find that We'll find what joy does for us. And I'd like to go back to 2 Corinthians once again. Chapter 7. We're going to stay here for this thought in our lesson tonight. What does joy do for us? 2 Corinthians 7, beginning in verse 8. He says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice that you were made sorry, but, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all these things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. Again, I think Paul is looking back in that he said, I had to write that first letter to you to make you sorry. I wanted you to be sorrowful. They were like these people that James was writing to that we mentioned a moment ago in James 4. They didn't understand the problems that they were having. 
And he said, I needed to make you sorrowful. He said, I didn't didn't like making you sorrowful. I wasn't happy about that. But he said, I'm happy that the sorrow led you to repentance. And then he talks about two kinds of sorrow here. He talks about that worldly sorrow. If they'd had a worldly sorrow, then what would happen with them then was they would got bitter. There's that Apostle Paul trying to tell us what to do. He thinks he's better than us and he's trying to get us straightened out. We know what we're doing over here. And their problems would have escalated and got worse and worse. He said worldly sorrow leads to death. And indeed, that church could have died over there with that worldly sorrow. We are thankful to God that they didn't have that. What they had, they had the godly sorrow. And when you have that godly sorrow, he says that that godly sorrow leads to repentance. Now that's when joy comes back to Paul. And that's when joy can come back to the church in Corinth. They have repented of the things that they had done that was against the the teachings of the Word of God. And now they can be vindicated. They can be cleared of all those things. And they can move forward in their lives and enjoy themselves as brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says a little bit more starting in verse 13. He says, Therefore we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. For as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all and how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. First of all, I noticed in verse 13 he talks about that they've been comforted, that he was comforted in their comfort. That word comfort comes up again. Comfort is a companion of joy. They had repented of the things that they had done before. And that repentance first led to them being comforted. And they could feel better about themselves again. And then they could feel happy about the things that were going on. And then he talks about the joy of Titus. And, and, and how Titus is coming uh, to them. And, and as, as I read all this, I see joy just bouncing back and forth among all the people. Paul had joy about Titus. Titus had joy about Paul. Titus had joy about the the church over in Corinth, and the Corinth had joy knowing about Titus. This joy was abounding. Everyone was being refreshed with joy because all kinds of good things were taking place and better things were yet to come. And they were looking forward to all of these things. Enthusiasm becomes a byproduct of joy. Hope becomes a a byproduct of joy. And I see this as what was happening here with the church at Corinth. Enthusiasm is is back in the congregation. They're excited and they're they're more apt to go out and talk to others about, about their souls and to reach those that need to obey the gospel. They have that enthusiasm. They have that hope for their own salvation. And because of all these things, they are filled with this joy. When our congregation has enthusiasm... And when our congregation has that hope, we too are also filled with that joy. And then he says one more thing about what joy does for us. 
We continue in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. He says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witnesses that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should, would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Here Paul is talking about that church in Macedonia. He describes them as a church that's been afflicted, and a church that was in great poverty. We're, we're still blessed here. Our economy not been good. <laughs> People are, have lost jobs. Prices are soaring, but we get one of these missionaries coming along, we know how good we have it then, don't we? It's still good. There are brethren that met today in a thatch hut somewhere. There are brethren that have met today somewhere in this world, I have no doubt, maybe under a tree. That's all they had. There's brethren today that, have, that are deep in that poverty. And I'm sure they're much like this church at Macedonia. Even though their worldly goods are not much and are very little, they still have joy in them. Why is that? Well, I think it's because their mind is more toward heavenly things than the things of this world. They're not concerned about these worldly things. They understand, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God will take care of their daily needs, and that's all they want. And so they have those things, and they have that joy because they are concerned about others. This joy helped them to perform Christian services. It says not according to their ability, but they went beyond their ability. If someone was to, to stand there and look, and apparently that's what Paul is doing, look at how much they were able to give. And they're in poverty. And they were able to give that much, whatever that amount was. They were able to give that. It didn't bother them. And so joy does that for us. They were focused on these things. They were focused on the heavenly things that they gave themselves to the Lord with their daily lives. And joy grew in them. And joy can do the same thing for us. It doesn't matter how much we have in our pockets and how much possessions we have at home. It's a matter of us watching and looking toward our heavenly things to receive this joy. Well, how do we receive this joy? That's a good question. I'm going to tell you in one word how to receive this joy. Obedience. Obedience. That's the word that helps us receive this joy. But I'm going to add some words to obedience. First of all, we need diligent obedience. Matthew chapter 25 is uh, the scripture that has the parable of, of the talents. 
You remember that parable, don't you? Here, here's three men over here, and, and this man gives one of them one talent, and he gives another man two talents, and he gives another man five talents, and then he goes away. And he comes back a little bit later, and the one that had five talents, let his talents grow into ten. And the one that had two, let his grow into four. And the one that had one talent, well, he went and buried his, and he still has one talent. And we remember what happened with him. But as this man is praising the other two because they had gained in their talents, that they had doubled their talents, he says to them, to one of them in verse 21 and to the other in verse 23, he says, you were faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what he told them. Why? Well, they were obedient to take care of the talents that he left with them. But with that obedience, there was some diligence involved. They went and invested the things that, that he left with them. They, they not only took care of it, but they wanted it to be better when he returned. And so diligence was a part of that obedience. And because of that, they certainly had joy. Our obedience also needs to be faithful. In Luke chapter 10, we read about where Jesus sends the 70 out in the, into the mission fields. He sends them out to the various cities and the villages round about to preach the message. He gave them the power to, to heal the sick and to cast demons from those that uh, were demon-possessed. Verse 17 says this, it says, Then the seventy returned with great joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. As they went on this, they were faithful to do what the Lord told them to do. They were faithful to, to heal the sick. They were faithful to help those along the way. And this put joy in them. They returned with joy because they were successful on this trip that Jesus sent them on. I'd like to think about that a little bit. I'm, I'm sure we're all the same. That, that you know, if you see somebody that's wheelchair bound, they're crippled. If you could, if you could just wave your hand over their head and, and they get up and walk, wouldn't that make you feel better? Wouldn't you like that? We can't do that, can we? <laughs> if we see someone that's blind, if we could just do something and and cause them to see, wouldn't that be something? But we can't do that. Now here are these people. They were just like you and I. They couldn't do anything about it either. But after Jesus gave them the power of the Holy Spirit, and they go out there, and this person, oh, he's demon-possessed. Demon, come out of that man. That demon comes, oh, wow, I did it. <laughs> you know, I did it by the power of the Lord, but that demon came out of that man. Wasn't that awesome? This man's getting up and he's walking now. No doubt this brought joy to them. And it, called, it came about because of their faithfulness and their obedience. Also, our obedience needs to be complete. John chapter 15, verse 9 through 11. This is Jesus speaking to the apostles again. He says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. 
These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. That phrase, joy may be full, is coming up quite a bit as we read about joy. But here he talks about how Jesus is talking about how he abides with God the Father. He says, now it's time for you to abide in me in the same way. If you are abiding in me, if you're doing all the things that I'm telling you to do, if you follow after all the teachings that I give you, then my joy is going to come into you and your joy will be full. Indeed, as we read about the apostles there in in the book of Acts, we find that Peter and James and John and the others, they went out and and uh, they lived their Christianity four days a week and the other three days they did what they wanted to do. Well, you did the same thing they did at Shackle Island the other night. Now you're looking at me. (laughs) I got somebody's attention here. No, that's not what they did. They live their Christian lives, they live their Christianity seven days a week. They were out there every day living a Christian life. If they weren't teaching, then they were living it by showing the example of how we are to live before others. Setting the example of what Christian living is all about. That's complete obedience. And whatever they learned from the Holy Spirit, that's what they taught. And that's what they did. They had complete obedience in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We find this too, that their obedience was unified. How can we have a lesson about joy without some scripture in Philippians? Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, If comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Okay, congregation, did you get that? Do you want your joy to be full here at Fountainhead? He says, this is how you do it right here. He says that you would fulfill His joy, and certainly we would fulfill the joy of each other when we are like-minded, when we have the same love with each other, when we are of one accord, when we are of one mind, and we're working together as one body, Our joy will be full. And then he talks about anything we do. It shouldn't be done in selfish ambition or conceit. But we need to be looking out for others over ourselves in all things. We need to esteem each other higher than ourselves. And care about each other. And when we all work together that way, our joy will be full. It's a unified obedience that we have. And then our obedience needs to be a sincere obedience. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 tells us that the church of Thessalonica received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Indeed they did. 
We talked about the church at Macedonia a moment ago. They had affliction and poverty. But as I think about it, the church the world over in that time had affliction. They had persecution. I suppose it was worse in some places than others. But in some places, they they had to go through much persecution. And he says here that the church at Thessalonica had afflictions, but with joy of the Holy Spirit, they continued on in their lives. Isn't that great? If you're able to have joy in your heart about being a Christian, when you're under the threat of going to jail, when you're under the threat of someone taking you aside and whipping you with a whip, when you're under the threat of your life being taken from you, and you still remain a Christian, and you have that joy in your heart, you have a sincere obedience, I believe. If you don't have that sincere obedience, when one of those happenings might come your way, you might, oh, wait a minute, I don't think I want to be a Christian anymore. I'll just go, I'll do something else. I'll give up my allegiance to God. But those that stayed with it, and took the punishment, no doubt they had a sincere obedience that cannot be questioned. And that's how we receive joy. I'd like to say one more thing about joy this evening. And that is, we read the story in Acts chapter 8 of how Philip went to Samaria. The church had been scattered, according to the first few verses. But Philip went to Samaria and he preached to them Jesus. And his preaching and the miracles that he performed in that city, it says it brought great joy in that city. When we do the work of Christ, we can bring joy in the hearts of those that are outside of Christ. If we can just show the works of Christ in our life and we preach to others Jesus, we can bring joy in their hearts. This joy was so great that we read a few verses later that they became obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says that they were baptized both men and women into Christ. That's what they did. And I imagine that their joy continued to grow after that as babes in Christ. As they knew more about the Lord They did more, and their joy grew, that their joy also became full. Again, we will rejoice this evening. If there's someone here tonight that needs to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you do so, there's going to be rejoicing with the angels of heaven. There's going to be rejoicing here. But we need you to come as together we stand and sing.